The thousand arms of the forest were gray, and its million fingers silver. In a sky of dark green blue like slate, the stars were bleak and brilliant like splintered ice. All that thickly wooded and sparsely tenanted countryside was stiff with a bitter and brittle frost. The black hollows between the trunks of the trees looked like bottomless black caverns of that Scandinavian hell, a hell of incalculable cold. Even the square stone tower of the church looked northern to the point of heathenry, as if it were some barbaric tower among the sea rocks of Iceland. It was a queer night for anyone to explore a churchyard. But on the other hand, perhaps it was worth exploring. It rose abruptly out of the ashen wastes of forest, in a sort of hump or shoulder of green turf that looked gray in the starlight. Most of the graves were on a slant, and the path leading up to the church was as steep as a staircase. On the top of the hill, in the one flat and prominent place, was the monument for which the place was famous. It contrasted strangely with the featureless graves all round, for it was the work of one of the greatest sculptors of modern Europe, and yet his fame was at once forgotten in the fame of the man whose image he had made. It showed, by touches of the small silver pencil of starlight, the massive metal figure of a soldier recumbent the strong hands sealed in an everlasting worship, the great head pillowed upon a gun. The venerable face was bearded, or rather whiskered, in the old, heavy Colonel Newcomb fashion. The uniform, though suggested with the few strokes of simplicity, was that of modern war. By his right side lay a sword, of which the tip was broken off. On the left lay a Bible. On glowing summer afternoons, wagonettes came full of Americans and cultured suburbans to see the sepulchre, but even then they felt the vast forest land with its one dumpy dome of churchyard and church as a place oddly dumb and neglected. In this freezing darkness of midwinter, one would think he might be left alone with the stars. Nevertheless, in the stillness of those stiff woods, a wooden gate creaked, and two dim figures dressed in black climbed up the little path to the tomb. So faint was that frigid starlight that nothing could have been traced about them except that while they both wore black, one man was enormously big, and the other, perhaps by contrast, almost startlingly small. They went up to the great graven tomb of the historic warrior and stood for a few minutes staring at it. There was no human, perhaps no living thing, for a wide circle, and a morbid fancy might well have wondered if they were human themselves. In any case, the beginning of their conversation might have seemed strange. After the first silence, the small man said to the other, where does a wise man hide a pebble? And the tall man answered in a low voice, On the beach. The small man nodded, and after a short silence said, 
Where does a wise man hide a leaf? And the other answered, In the forest. There was another stillness, and then the tall man resumed, Do you mean that when a wise man has to hide a real diamond, he has been known to hide it among sham ones? No, no, said the little man with a laugh. We will let bygones be bygones. He stamped his cold feet for a second or two, and then said, I am not thinking of that at all, but of something else, something rather peculiar. Just strike a match, will you? The big man fumbled in his pocket, and soon a scratch and a flare painted gold the whole flat side of the monument. On it was cut, in black letters, the well-known words which so many Americans had reverently read.